Well, hello, church. If you would open to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 22 and read to the end. This is God's Word. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And once again, Lord, We turn to you because you have said these things. This is not our invention. This is not our interpretation. What we just read are your words. They're your ideas. They're your will for every husband and wife. And so, Lord, we pray that we would not only learn today, but that you would strengthen us to leave here and be doers of your word. And we pray that you would help us to be doers of your word so that you would get more glory in us displaying this Christ-Church-Marital relationship. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We are week five in this series on marriage. And um, the way we're structuring this, I I think I mentioned this maybe the first week, uh, is really two parts, part one and two. And we're almost finished with part one. Um, The part one is the distinct roles of husband and wife, how they're different because the husband's to be like Christ, the wife like the church. And so we've studied those. This week we'll look at husbands, next week wives. But then we'll transition to uh, the second half of this series where we're going to look at the oneness of marriage, the unity, uh, the covenant unity between a husband and wife, how to protect that how to preserve that, Um, and I'm really most looking forward to to that section. Here's why all this matters. Um, Marriage, as all things that God has designed and created, uh, is something that we should step back and and marvel at the wisdom of God and how He's uh, created this, this unique institution Um, As we've seen and as we just read, marriages have a specific purpose. 
we don't just come up with our own idea of what marriage is to be. Uh, God tells us it is to be about Christ in the church. It is to make clear that truth. And First uh, Peter 2 says that the church is the pillar and the buttress of truth. So within the church, there should be Christian marriages that put forth the truth of the gospel uh, with clarity. And so either our marriage is accurately embodying Christ in the church, or it is not accurately embodying, it is misrepresenting that fundamental truth. Because that's what marriages are to portray. So we're either rightly and accurately portraying the truth of the gospel or we are misrepresenting and preaching a false gospel through how we treat our spouse. And, and so we can immediately feel the weight of this uh, in, in studying the topic of marriage. Now, today I want to talk about husbands. And the, I'm sure many of you men have heard sermons on husbands and uh, I've heard many myself, some of those land so heavy, um, they, they hit like a hammer, you feel convicted and you leave discouraged and, and beat down. Um, other sermons on husbands could just be very comforting and encouraging, but you leave feeling unequipped, uh, not feeling really any better off than when you started, and um, I don't want to do either of those. Um, my hope is to accurately just put forth what Scripture says about the role of a husband, and just let the Holy Spirit uh, do His work in each man here, uh, however these things may most apply to us. Here's one thing I know. Uh, I think all the wives here know this. Uh, I think many of us men have felt this, is that no one's influence, no one influences uh, the spiritual climate of our homes like husbands do. Where you have a lukewarm, aimless, apathetic husband, we send a spiritual drift throughout the whole household. And where you find a husband who is zealous for the Lord, the, even, an, even a cold and apathetic wife or children will feel the warmth of that man. Uh, his influence cannot be overemphasized in the home and so what I want to do as we come at the role of husbands, before we get to the passage that I read, I want to make sure that we study this in its context, because this is actually one of the failures of studying not only husbands, but marriage in Ephesians 5, is that we miss the whole context of this passage, and, and therefore we miss what it's saying about husbands. So what is the context here? I, I I think maybe the simplest way to say it is we're, what, what we're getting here is not just a husband in a general sense. We're getting a Christian husband, a distinctly Christian husband. Uh, what that means is that we aren't to be men who just get married and then create a list of little boxes to check and say, now I'm being a, a godly husband to the degree in which I check all of these boxes of what a husband is to do. I think when we get the context of, uh, of Ephesians 5, we actually see that we're dealing with a man who has been supernaturally affected by God, uh, who now is indwelt with the Spirit of God, and so everything that the Bible says about him isn't just something he should do, it's something that he is. 
which should mean that this shouldn't leave any husband discouraged who's a Christian husband. Uh, because you have a divine power. We see Ephesians 1.3. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Uh, it says that He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. That He predestined us for adoption as sons. That we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. So the identity, the primary identity of a husband is not a husband or a father. He's a Christian. He's a Christian. And even the godliest husbands in this room are nothing more than sinful men who God has in His mercy predestined, saved, made His sons and I think every husband, every Christian husband, we, should, we would do well to pay attention to these words as well. It says, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You say, why is that important for the role of a husband? Well, because all of those good works that were created in Christ Jesus to do, the good works that He predestined for me to do, for you brothers to do, Many of those are to be done toward our wife. Many of those, looking at the, the span of our marriage, will be done toward our wife. Now, if we move forward in Ephesians 5.1, um, I want to say one more thing about the context here. Look just at this first verse. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. I agree with a man named Alistair Roberts who said the image of God is a father-son relationship. And so think back for a minute to Genesis. Genesis 1. We've been studying this. Genesis 1, uh, 27. It says, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him male and female. He created them. So, uh, man and woman are God's children created to image forth, to reflect their father. Genesis 5.3, Adam has a son in his image and in his likeness. So, a father's image is connected to his son. The son is to embody the image of the father. Uh, that, that is what it means to be an image bearer. So we bring that idea back to Ephesians 5.1. Be imitators of God as beloved children. So I think what we're seeing is a repeat of the creation mandate. That we are made and, and, and fundamental to who we are as image bearers is that we're to reflect the image of God on the earth. We're to imitate God. And then tie that to what it says right behind this in Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply. Why would you be fruitful and multiply? So that you can fill the earth with more of the image of God. Um, this, this is really, uh, I think, another way to talk about the Great Commission. I think when Jesus brings up the Great Commission, He's furthering and expanding upon this same idea to multiply image bearers, to fill the earth with them, not just physical offspring, but obedient disciples of Jesus who will fill the earth with the image of God. 
That's what the Great Commission is. Um, to, to multiply those who will help subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Bring all things in, into subjection to Christ. You say, why is that important? And here's why I, why I say all of this. Because marriage needs a mission. Marriage needs a, a mission, and the mission is not marriage. And the mission is not your spouse. Genesis 2.18, Here, here's a way to understand what I'm saying. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. God said that. It's not good that man's alone. I will make a helper fit for him. What does it mean that it's not good? He says it's not good that he's alone. It's not good that he's lonely. Is that what it means? That he just needs someone because he's, he's going to be lonely. It's not good that the man is alone because he has some emotional or relational need, some hole in Adam's heart that he needs fulfilled with a woman. Is that what it's saying? Now, that may be true at some level, but I think when God says it is not good that a man be alone, I will make a helper fit for him, he's primarily saying the helper helps the man accomplish the mission that he had before the woman showed up, ideally. So what's the mission? The mission is to cover the earth with the image of God, to bring all things into subjection to the will of God. Under the rule and reign of God. That is the mission of the man. That is the mission of the woman. And in marriage, they get together so that they can better fulfill that mission. That's a very different vision for marriage than most have. Uh, but it's, I believe, right at the heart of what this is saying. And again, I'm still in the context of Ephesians 5.1. Uh, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. That is, get every breathing human to imitate and reflect the image of God. Starting with our kids, well, starting with us, then starting with our kids, then moving out to others and into the nations. Now, here's the question we need to ask. If we are to cover the earth with the image of God, if everyone is to reflect the image of God, that is another way of saying glorify God, if that's the goal, do men and women do that the exact same way? Does that look exactly the same for a woman as it does for a man? Well, look at Ephesians 5 again. Be imitators of God as beloved children, but then as you keep reading, for example, read verse 3. Let there not be sexual immorality or impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. And it goes on, talks about don't be foolish in your speaking, be filled with thanksgiving. Those don't have anything to do with gender, right? Man or woman, it equally applies to both of us, correct? There's nothing said there about oh, this is only for men or this is only for women. Uh, we, are, we are all to pursue purity, thankfulness, to not have foolish talk or crude joking. Those are genderless commands, from verse 1 to verse 21. Now when we get to verse 22, something changes. When we get to verse 22, there's a distinctiveness in gender for what holiness looks like. For what Christ-likeness looks like. In other words, it looks different for the man than the woman. If the husband tries to submit to his wife, is he holy? No, he's actually sinful. 
If the woman tried, if the wife tries to lead her husband, is she holy? No, she's actually in sin. So holiness or Christ-likeness looks very different for the different genders at that point. Uh, back in 2000, uh, I believe it was 2009, I preached a sermon. It was one of the first sermons in the church uh, that, I, that I preached. And it was, I think, titled something like, Christ-likeness uh, is not genderless. Christ-likeness is not genderless. To be Christ-like at many levels, especially in marriage, takes on a distinctness, a distinct maleness and a distinct femaleness in order for us to be Christ-like. And that is what Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 begins to unpack. So what I want to do in looking at this passage is I want to see five characteristics of husbands that are not something a wife is to do or to be. They're distinct to the husband. Five. And, and, and I'm, I'll just say what they are real quick, and I'm going to emphasize something. Uh, I'm going to talk about Lord, lords, lovers, prophets, priests, and shepherds. All of those are lowercase. 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 Okay? Uppercase is Christ. He's the Lord. He's the shepherd. He's the prophet. He's the priest. He's the lover. Those are all uppercase. But a husband is to be a lowercase imitator, reflector of Christ in all those areas. Does that make sense? So let's start with the first one. The husband as Lord, lowercase Lord. Now I would never, I would never call a husband a Lord, even with a lowercase, unless the Bible did. The Bible has. Uh, in 1 Peter 3, uh, it explicitly calls, uh, it says that Sarah called her husband Abraham Lord, and it's commending her for that. She called her husband Lord, and it commends her, says this is actually a good thing. Now, I'm not saying every woman here needs to call your husband Lord, but what I am saying, and I think Scripture is saying, is that you should treat him as one. You should actually treat him as one. Look back at Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. Your husband isn't the Lord, but you submit to him as unto the Lord. So the husband's the lowercase l, and you submit to him because of the uppercase l, Lord. As unto the Lord. And so when it says, wives submit to your husbands in everything, uh, I actually think the word everything means everything, except sin. Because, and this is, this is extremely important, why doesn't she submit to her husband if her husband were to lead her into sin? Because she is ultimately submitting to the Lord, the Lord, capital L. And therefore, she's willing to disobey lowercase Lord, her husband, because she has a greater allegiance to the Lord. Uh, that is very, very important to see. In other, word, in other words, husbands aren't lords because they do something to earn it, but because they are something. Uh, philosophers call this an ontological 
reality that part of the essential nature of a man, especially a man as a husband, is that he is not the woman. He has a distinct calling, a distinct identity. He's not trying to be a Lord, in other words. He is one. Uh, Whether she wants him to be, whether he wants to be, uh, whether the, the couple decides they like that or agree with that idea, he is Lord by his nature. Where do I get this? Look at verse 23. The husband is, that's what I want to emphasize, the head of the wife. The husband is the head of the wife. Now, he may not be a good one. Uh, He may be a very bad one, but he is her head and leader. Uh, It doesn't say the husband can become the head of his wife or he needs to grow up into this once he works really hard and after many years he can finally uh, receive this exalted status of of lord of his wife or head of his wife. That's not what it says. What it's saying is a, a husband who gets married yesterday and a husband who's been married for 30 years and made much progress and is very godly, they're both equally head. Uh, head of their wife. Listen to how it reads. As Christ is the head of the church. So as Christ cannot cease to be head of the church, the husband cannot cease to be head of the wife. Even if they don't agree. Even if they say, well, I don't like how you're interpreting that. It's what it says. The husband is the head of the wife. As Christ is the head of the church. Uh, Disagreeing with this doesn't change what God has said about a husband's authority. All it's going to do is hinder his ability to do it well. And the problem for so many men is that they have been told that their leadership of their wife or their headship of their wife is toxic. It's not good for your wife for you to take on that title or responsibility. And so many men either ignore it or reject it but their wife still suffers under their negligent leadership. You can't avoid the reality. That's why Kevin DeYoung said, patriarchy is inevitable. God built it into the fabric of the cosmos. Men were made to lead. They always have. They always will. And when they don't, where men are absent, you will see destruction and chaos. Now listen. (laughs) Okay, be careful with a statement like that. Uh, just because we're at, where men are absent, there is destruction and chaos, doesn't mean where men are present, there is order and righteousness. Read history. <laughs> okay? Uh, that's, that's not what we're saying. Um, but what we're not going to do is get rid of the idea of manhood. Let's just get rid of men because men always mess up when they lead. That's not the solution. The solution is look to the one man who never messed up when he led, the Christ man, the Son of God, the Son of Man, and then look at how he tells other men to imitate him. And he empowers them with his spirit to imitate his type of leadership. Uh, That's the solution that the world needs. Uh, The Lord, and then little lowercase lords imitating him for the good of our wives. Uh, Here's the second thing. The husband as lover. I look back at verse 25. Husbands, love 
your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I mean, do I need to say anything else? Could we just stop there and have plenty to work on for the rest of our married lives? To be humbled by, to fall short of. You know, we're talking about restoring the glory back into marriage because marriages have become common. Is there anything that could restore the glory back to marriage as that command? Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. However difficult a role God has given a woman to submit, and it is very difficult because of the man they're called to submit to. I don't know how you could say that the woman's role is more difficult than that because the men have to imitate the God-man who died for his bride. In marriage counseling, uh, sometimes, you know, someone will be sitting with a couple, they'll have a marital problem, and say the husband speaks out first, and he says, you know, the problem with our marriage is, I just don't love my wife anymore. And uh, the counselor might respond, well, that's nice, go love her. And he's like, no, no, I don't. That's what I, I said, I don't love her. And the counselor goes, well, I heard you. Go love her. And then, and then the guy pushes back. No, you don't understand. I'm saying the problem is I don't love her. And then the counselor, if he's a good counselor, would say, no, I understand. No, but the problem is you don't understand love. And, and many men don't understand love. They're thinking of love like that first time they held their now wife, then girlfriend's hand, or kissed her, or they were together for a moment, and they got those feelings that probably weren't anything like this type of love, but were more like lust or maybe strong like. But true, genuine love is selfless and sacrificial. It is selfless and sacrificial. Husbands, love your wives. Then how does it define the type love? As Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. You say, what does that look like practically? Well, Paul tells us in verse 28, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Any men here love themselves? Love your wife in order to love yourself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So God, I think this is how, how this reads, God knows how much men love themselves. I, I mean, every man here, you love yourself. I hate to say it, and I say this about myself as well. We love ourselves more than we love anyone else. We just do. It's a sad reality. I'm not proud of that about myself or, or about any of you, but we do. And so we could be an amazing husband if we would begin to love our wife as we love ourselves. That's, that's really what he's saying. And, and, you know, you could get tripped up here um, if, if we don't get what, what he's fully saying. Um, for example, you know, honey, I got you Braves tickets, um, even when you don't like baseball, because it says to love you is to love myself, and I, love, I would love to go to this game. You know, that's not what it's saying, <laughs> 
Uh, it, it's, it, what it means is, if she has a splitting headache, you have a splitting headache. What would you want for someone to do for you at that moment? Do that for her. Because in a profound covenantal way, she is you. And you are her. That's what it's saying. Uh, and that is a very, very high bar. It goes from this idea of agape love into what we might call eros type of love. Look at verse 27. It says that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And so I think this is getting at this idea of attraction, of affection, of desire. That a Christian husband is to desire to, from the heart, love his wife. He's not just dying to himself and just going, i, I got to be Christ-like in this, I'm going to die to self and do it. There's actually affection there. There's actually uh, a, a real love. We, we studied Song of Solomon, and I do believe that's about Christ in the church. But what image is picturing Christ in the church? Two lovers. Two people who really love each other from the heart is picturing Christ in the church. This is not a cold-hearted, apathetic roommates. This is deeply affectionate lovers. Think about in the garden before sin. In the garden, Adam sees his wife for the first time. What does he do? He sings. He rejoices over her. Isaiah 62.5 says, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Christ rejoices over His bride and the bride will spend eternity rejoicing over Him. Question for all of us, uh, when someone sees our marriage, do they see any resemblance to that? The groom rejoicing over the bride and the bride over the groom. We should. A husband is a lover. Uh, thirdly, the husband is a prophet. He's a prophet. Uh, by, by prophet, I'm, I'm mainly meaning uh, his ministry of the word to his wife. Look back at verse 25. It says, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her. How? By the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So the primary way that a husband is to beautify his wife for God and himself, because a man's, uh, a man's idea of beauty shouldn't merely be external, he should be desiring the inner beauty that God desires as the ultimate beauty he wants in his wife. How does he get that? He should be trying to get that and get her to have that. How does he do it? By the word. The washing of water with the word. Was maybe, maybe this would look like the husband and wife reading the Bible together in the home. Maybe this would look like family devotions and the kids are involved as well, but she's receiving uh, the word, maybe this is corporately that the, the husband is leading and, and entering into corporate worship settings where the word of God is washing the wife as, it's, as it is him. 
uh, city groups as well. There's lots of ways, uh, if the kids are young, a husband taking the initiative to make sure the wife has some time in her day to spend alone with the Lord in the Word. Because he knows the Word is what she needs to cleanse her, to purify, to beautify my bride. Husbands are therefore, in light of all of this, to be resident theologians. Not professional theologians. Not vocational theologians, residential theologians. Say, well, what other verse do we have? Well, 1 Corinthians 14.35 is very important. It says, "If if a wife wants to learn something, let her go ask her own husband at home. She wants to learn something from Scripture, it's meaning. Go ask your husband at home, which implies what of the husband? That he has something to say if she asks. That he either knows the answer or he's going to study and figure it out because Scripture tells the wife to ask her husband on things that she's wondering about Scripture. Uh, Additionally, we have Deuteronomy chapter 6. We have Ephesians chapter 6, which both tell the, uh, the husband, if he's a father as well, he should be teaching his children diligently the Scriptures. This man needs to know the Word. He needs to love the Word. And and I would say he needs to center the whole family around the Word, especially in times of conflict. So conflict is inevitable inevitable in a family and in a a marriage, but the man's role is to center the, the Word in the midst of conflict and then say, what does God say about this? Because it isn't about your opinion or my opinion. What does God say to us? In the midst of the conflict, his voice is the true leader of this home. And so the husband centralizes the word as a good prophet. This leads to the fourth, the husband as a priest. Look back at verse 25 and 26 again. Listen to the language here. He's giving up himself in this case, but an offering for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That is all priestly language. You can't escape the priestly language and the priestly duties being revealed there. And, And so, brothers, let me ask you this. As a first step to being a priest in our home, Do you pray for your wife? Do you pray for her? Not just Lord bless her day, help her to be healthy, but do you pray for her purity, for her holiness, for her godliness, for her to be fruitful in ministry? We must pray for our wives. A prophet speaks to our wife on behalf of God, but a priest speaks to God on behalf of his wife. What what this is saying is the husband is the spiritual leader. The husband is to be her spiritual leader. Uh, One preacher got practical with what that means, and he said the husband should say let's the most. Let's pray about this. 
let's show up early to church and serve in this capacity. Let's go on a date tonight. Let's give to help such and such. He should be the initiator of let's. He's a priest. He's a spiritual leader. Which leads to the fifth and final role. This is probably the most all-encompassing of of these. The Christian husband is a shepherd. Uh, I think this is where this role gets a lot more demanding. Because shepherding uh, lays a burden on a man in the most inconvenient hours. It attacks his laziness and selfish use of time. It calls for energy after a long work day. I mean, are shepherds ever off the clock? They rise early, they labor all day, they go to bed exhausted. I always love when a, when a brother from the church says, I'm exhausted. I'm like, Amen, brother. Something's probably right. Maybe not, maybe, maybe not, but probably that's a good thing. Shepherds wake up in the middle of the night to protect the flock under their care. Um, I think men should lock the doors at night. Uh, I said to my family when I had that back injury uh, recently and I was not able to walk, I said, Priscilla, something happens. We got an intruder or something. I will crawl to, the, to uh, protect the family. They will easily take me out. And I've already talked to Noah. He's going to come down and do what he can do. He can step over my body and he can try to do what he can do. You're not going to protect the family. <laughs> um, we are to protect. It is... And that's not just a physical protection regarding what uh, influences come into our kids' lives. The devices that they watch, what they watch, what they don't watch. They protect the family from evil and harmful influences, not just physically, but spiritually. I, I, I love the, the shepherd image of Psalm 23. Listen to this and, and, and relate it back to marriage. Husbands... Lead your wife beside still waters and into green pastures. Husband, with your rod and your staff, comfort her. Protect her. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, my husband, are with me. Now Christ is obviously her ultimate shepherd. But does Christ not commission under shepherds that would practically provide and protect the wife. First uh, Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his own household, he is denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. So it's saying, what type of shepherd wouldn't provide for the sheep? What type of shepherd wouldn't protect them, wouldn't lead them beside still waters and into green pastures? I love as a pastor getting to watch many shepherdly men actually think like this. They order not only their own career in their life, but their family's life. They realize, if I overwork, is that a blessing for my wife? How I schedule my, my day, how we do this or don't do this, all these things affect her and affect the kids. And I want to be a good shepherd. I want to lead into green pastures and besides still waters. And so I, I watch men not take promotions because they're thinking about their wife or their kids. Or they do take promotion because they're thinking about their wife or their kids. But it isn't just about what do I want 
and what is my ladder to success? They think shepherdly. They, they think shepherdly. Uh, godly husbands aren't just trying to fill up their wife's cup with material blessings as if all the things of this world could do our wives for our wives everything our wives need done for them. Good shepherdly husbands are filling up our wives' cup with every spiritual, emotional, relational blessing that we can. What context can I help her be in so that she thrives in as many areas as possible? So that she's as fruitful as she can be in doing the will of God. This is what I think 1 Peter 3.7 means when it says, a husband's love, uh, live with your wives in an understanding way. Try to live with them in an understanding way. Not just how not to offend them, but how to bless them. How to help them prosper. Study her, know her, so that she can experience God's blessing. Now, here, here's the last thought I want to put before us. Maybe somebody's here, and maybe you've studied a lot uh, about the role of a husband, and this is a popular thing, and I, wanted, I want to kind of fight against it for a minute. Maybe someone would say, you've, you've missed something, Pastor. You haven't talked about servant leadership. You haven't talked about servant leadership. Well, should I even, should I talk about that? Is that biblical? It depends. I do not believe a husband is a servant of his wife. If we mean by that, that she gives out orders and he tries to fulfill them. Who's leading at that point? Is he leading her or is she leading him? Is this Christ's role with the church? The church just gives out orders to Christ and he tries really hard to check off all the boxes that the church has told him? Would not the church be the leader in Christ? Be the body and he be the head and the church be the head? Wouldn't the roles be reversed if that's what we mean by servant leadership? Now listen, one I get why people say servant leadership. They see Jesus right before the cross washing the disciples' feet. Okay? I'm not saying to any man here, don't serve your wife. Christ washed the disciples' feet. We imitate that. We do serve our wife. What I'm saying is, we can't define the whole of our leadership as servitude. Because at some point, you've compromised your leadership, and now she's leading, and you're not. And so if that's what we mean by servant leadership, it is not a biblical concept, or at least it's a very truncated concept. But what I think we should happily affirm is that husbands are servants of Christ in their home. They are servant leaders of Christ in their home, and therefore they serve their wife. That's different. It's different because of 1 Corinthians 11.3. The head of every husband is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. I want to say something practical here, um, because I, I don't want to just speak up in, in all of this uh, without getting a little practical. Husbands without kids. Uh, those of you brothers that are, that are husbands, but you don't have children. What vision do you cast for your home? What, what, what are you doing? What is your marriage about? What, is, what, what has God called you to and what has God called your wife to? And what does that look like when you get home from work? 
Because I fear that what could happen is that we, a husband and wife go their separate ways. They're at work all day separated, then they get home and they go their separate ways. Or they come together, but they're just wasting maybe years of their life doing fruitless things. I just want to encourage you husbands, what has God called you to? What has God called your wife to? How do you maximize fruitfulness in your home? What does this look like? Husbands with kids. What is the vision of your family? What, why has God given you not only a wife, but children, this home to lead? When you walk in the door after work, what happens? Because I always say to husbands, there's, there's two wrong things to do when you walk in the door after work. There's two really bad sides of the ditch to fall into. Uh, one of those would be that you walk in and you say, uh, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, don't tell me to do anything, I'm done. And that husband does have a vision. His vision is, it's about me now. And everybody will do whatever I want to do, and I want to rest, and I don't want to be told what to do. That's, a bad, that's bad leadership. The other side of the ditch is bad in a different way. The man walks in the door. And he's still thinking about work. He's still thinking about everything going on. So he walks in the door. He has no plan whatsoever. No vision whatsoever. So he walks in. His wife has a vision. She has a plan. And she says, this, 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 and this. And he spends the rest of the evening checking the boxes. Because he has no vision. That's also not what a husband should be doing. He should, with his wife, sit down and figure out what has God called us to do. What does this look like? And it doesn't mean he walks in the front door and he has a checklist of an itinerary for the whole night. Every, every night that he, he's that structured. I'm not advocating for that. It could look like this. Honey, I am overwhelmed with work. I've got all sorts of things going on. It is very possible I will not be very present. I need your help to keep me focused. Could you remind me about family devotions? Could you remind me about dinner? Could you remind me about bedtimes? It's possible I could forget these things. I would really like your help on these things. You hear, that's not a negligent man. That's a man who's leading and he understands his own weaknesses and he understands the helper that the Lord has given him that they together would fulfill uh, the mission. Here, here's, here's a word to encapsulate all that. Responsibility. A husband feels the weight of responsibility and he takes initiatives to help his wife prosper, to help his children prosper. And the reality is, when, it, when he walks in the home after work, and his kids are running around, or the house is a mess, or his wife is emotionally down, that may not be his fault. But listen, it is his responsibility. There are many things in a husband's life that may not be his fault, but they are his responsibility if they're in his home. And guys, here's how I can say that with so much confidence. That's how Christ treated His bride. Our sin is not His fault, but He did take it on as His responsibility. Do you see? This is what He's called us to, brothers. To take responsibility to bless our kids. That's what dominion and headship ultimately looks like. It's Christ-like. Thoroughly. And completely to be Christ-like. 
Well, I'm thankful, I hope you are, that we can go to the table and not rejoice in ourselves, uh, but in that Savior, that true husband, uh, who has done everything for his bride that she needed done for him. Uh, We need to come to this table and eat and drink uh, to the glory of Christ uh, and thank the Lord for all Christ has done. Uh, If you're new, we take the Lord's Supper every week and we believe the Scripture teaches that uh, those who have received Christ by faith, uh, who have been baptized, are the ones that Christ has given this table to. So if that's you, please come take the supper with us. If you'll be refraining today in the bulletin, uh, you can find some meaningful prayers uh, for this time. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word a light to our path, encouragement to our souls, guidance in the midst of the chaos and all the competing voices of this culture. Lord, Your Gospel is an offensive Gospel. It is foolishness to the world. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so Lord, we thank You for what You have said about the distinctness of husbands and wives, and how, how that pictures Christ and the church. Lord, help us to embody these things with more reality. And Lord, when we fall short, when we fail, Lord, we pray that Your Gospel and the true Christ and the church relationship would encourage us onward and would lift our souls. Lord, we thank You for all these things. And we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.